Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle the hearts and minds of your faithful people. The power of your word in Jesus Christ, our incarnate, crucified, risen, and ascended Lord. Amen. Be seated, please. I'm, uh, well, good morning, church. How is everybody? Gosh, it's wonderful to see you all. Um, I, uh, you'll notice I'm sitting down. This is uh, not an innovation. Uh, this is actually very ancient practice. Uh, some of you know uh, that bishops, uh, for the first several centuries of the church's life, <coughs> taught sitting down while the people stood. And then you caught on. <laughs> and, and you turned the tables. And uh, for centuries after that, a preacher stood while the people sat, and so I'm suggesting a compromise <laughs> here. Um, the, and I know we've got a lot going on, so I will try to keep this brief for me. Uh, um, I wanted to uh, set before us the key question, which is in all the liturgies of the day, confirmation and reception and baptism, and in fact in uh, the texts that are before us, uh, both in, uh, in the book of Samuel and in the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians and in the Gospel of Mark, which is what is God's call on your life? What is God's call on your life? And how do you respond to it? How do you listen and act in the moment that God says, listen and act? Um, you notice that uh, these calls are not easy and they are all urgent. If you begin uh, with the Old Testament <coughs> lesson in the first book of Samuel, you'll see Samuel as a as a young lad, uh, younger than, than uh, most of our confirmands here today in uh, the temple, hearing the voice of the Lord, not sure what it's about. Uh, sure, it must be Eli who's calling him, and then being instructed that, in fact, it's not his boss at all. It is the God of heaven and earth who is speaking into his heart. And when he says, uh, speak, Lord, for your servant listens, he gets a burden that... Uh, no child of 12 would willingly ask for to speak the word of God's truth and justice into a terrible moment in Israel's history. He has got to be the one who will actually stand up and put an end to an, a corrupt and oppressive priesthood. And, uh, and he reveals the word to Eli, and Eli says to him, if it's from God, you've got to go with it. And so he does. And the rest is, is power and blessing, but there are some very difficult moments on the way. The same is true in uh, the gospel according to St. Mark, if you want to move from this call, which is the call of prophecy uh, in, uh, in the first book of Samuel, to the gospel according to St. Mark, where Jesus himself 
uh, the incarnate Son of God and Son of Man, uh, comes uh, into a, a point in his ministry that is decisive. I mean, we've uh, gone through the best part of uh, two chapters and, and change, and, um, and then uh, he is uh, at, at this point still in what we could call the popular period of his ministry. People really uh, want to be seen in his company. There are probably lots of folks around there wishing they could take selfies at the time, but they, you know, it's a little, little before all of that technology, and they want to be with him wherever he is, and he's uh, walking uh, through the grain fields, and then his disciples start plucking, it seems very harmless, plucking heads of grain from the fields, and the Pharisees and the leaders of the temple notice this and begin to think that maybe this guy is more subversive than they thought. And uh, they question him about it because this is taking place on the Sabbath and there are laws against work on the Sabbath. And, and he teaches them from the scriptures that in fact that law is meant as a way of serving humankind, not the other way around. And the moment of decision comes to a crux, if you will, a, a crisis, when in the synagogue uh, he is presented uh, in this enormous crowd of folks and all the, all the important people of town uh, gathered around him and the leaders of the, of the assembly, and there's a man standing there with a withered hand. And he feels the call of his father on his heart and knows this is the time to heal the man. And he asks them, this question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? And he gets no response. There was nobody else listening to the call of God in that synagogue except him. And that's what angers him. He sees all of these folks who technically should have the same call he has, and nobody is willing to say a thing except him. And so he asks the man to stretch out his hand, and the man does, and he is healed on the Sabbath. And in that moment, the tables turn against him, you see. The great irony in this part of the gospel, of course, is that the Herodians and the Pharisees never would agree on anything together their whole lives, except for one, which is this Jesus guy has to go. <laughs> and so he hears God's call to him to teach and to heal, and he acts on it. And in the third reading, which you hear just before this gospel, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, he describes what the call of apostleship looks like. This bearing of the, of the hope of the cross and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the forgiveness of sins through his blood and eternal life through the empty tomb, through his rising from the dead, and Paul has understood that if he does not carry this word forth, nobody is going to hear from it. And he understands in time an astonishing thing, which is that more people hate him for it than actually congratulate him. And he keeps winding up with opposition everywhere he goes. He's, he's treated badly. He's He's hurt, he's pushed aside, he's discarded. Sometimes he's hunted down. And he recounts these various things, both in this 
part of the, uh, of the letter, and in other parts he goes e even into greater detail about the hardships he faced. Now, you may think that's an amazing thing. Martin Luther put it this way. He was astonished that when he rediscovered, as it were, for the church in his time, the gospel of unconditional and unlimited grace, <clears throat> that nobody thanked him for it. <laughs> and instead he wound up in jail a lot of times and, and couldn't understand what this was about. And then he realized, he said, will, will a lion long bound in chains lick the hand that releases it? Will a lion long bound in chains lick the hand that releases it? You see, when you preach the gospel of grace into people's own darkness and, and sin, into our own woundedness, you expose that woundedness. And we don't like that. Nobody likes that. But it has to be exposed in order that the mercy of the great physician can work his, his healing and his forgiveness in our hearts and turn us into the people that he wants us to be. And that is the word and the call of apostleship to which Paul responds. And he responds knowing that if he doesn't do it, no one else might. Now, <clears throat> these three calls, my friends, of prophecy and prophetic service, of uh, teaching and healing in the Gospel of Mark, and of apostleship, the proclamation of the Word of God and the carrying it into the far corners of the earth and even, yes, into the inner recesses of Mount Lebanon. All three of these calls are invested in the church. In fact, we have what we call holy orders dedicated to them. Specifically, uh, the diaconate, that ministry of, uh, of prophetic servanthood in the image of Samuel. Uh, we expect deacons to, to be exactly that, to be inconvenient proclaimers of the truth of God for the sake of his mercy and justice. We expect the priests of God, uh, like those who serve you in this place, to be bearers of the teaching and healing ministry of God, to, the, to equip the, the people of Christ, and, and to be urgent about this, knowing that as they do that, people will need to be healed, and if they don't spread that ministry, then it won't go anywhere. And the ministry of apostleship is entrusted to the bishops who have a particular burden and promise on our own lives to take this ministry into the, into the far corners of the earth and to, as uh, St. Paul urges in his letter to Timothy, to be urgent, to proclaim the word of God in season and out of season. Because if we don't, then who will? But I want you to know that it isn't just in these holy orders that these ministries are invested. The reason we, we have these orders is to keep in front of the whole church, in fact, the, the call of God, which is in all three of these dimensions of prophecy, of teaching and healing, and of apostleship, of proclamation of the word to the world, which is invested in baptism. And, and pay attention as we, as we celebrate this liturgy of baptism and of confirmation, because my friends, you will hear it's all there. This is you who have this call of prophetic urgency against injustice, 
of proclaiming the mercy of God, of teaching and healing in his name, that's you, and of, and of proclaiming the word of Christ crucified and risen to the ends of the earth, both in word and deed, not only in what you say, but in how you lead your lives. And here we've got um, eight young people who are committing themselves to be confirmed in this way, to receive the Holy Spirit, and are actually pledging themselves to take on this call and say, yes, I will be obedient to that. And we've got a child who will, is so young that uh, they will not even remember uh, except maybe in some deep pre-conscious recess of their soul, which I have every confidence in. Um, what has happened here today, and yet the godparents and parents and the entire church are standing around and saying, yes, we promise that we will do everything possible to see that this child is faithful to understanding that call uh, as they grow up. What are we doing? Do you see the burden of it? Are you ready to receive it? All of us, all those, those uh, adults who are, being, uh, who are being received into this communion today, on uh, your knees or standing before your bishop with uh, prayers of the whole church and the anointing of the Spirit saying, yes, we will accept this call of God on our lives to bear witness through prophecy and through teaching of heal and healing and through uh, apostolic action. Well, um, how do you do it? Because frankly, if you think you can, you're crazy. I'm just saying. And if you try to do it out of your own natural efforts, you'll be exhausted and most likely dead uh, before too long. And that is why it's important to understand that this call is not something that you do, it is something that God does in you, my friends. Jesus Christ crucified and risen is with you and in you and around you. He has made his home in your hearts. If you are here and responded to these words in faith, the reason that you are able to do that in the first place is because he is at the bottom of your souls. And by the power of his spirit, he is going to make sure that you are able to accomplish this word. Look at St. Paul's letter to uh, the second letter to the Corinthians and you see this wonderful uh, thing that he has uh, here in this verse. He says, uh, we, it is God who said that light shine out of darkness, and this God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and this is the treasure we have in clay jars. Do you see what he's referring to? Our mortal nature, our physical weakness, the cowardice and confusion of your bishop. The, the, the dismay of you all as you listen to this call and wish there was someone else you could hand it off to. Those are the clay jars. Don't you think St. Paul was terrified every time he, he went out to preach? We have the witness that he was, in fact. 
uh, there were plenty of times when he, when I'm sure he sort of got down on his knees and said, please, Lord, just give me the day off and give it to somebody else. But, but instead, he was called to preach it. Because what was in there was not just the clay jar itself, but the treasure of Christ crucified and risen, the very power of God to make sure that he would do it. And what that treasure does is it creates the power for us to be changed, to change one another, and to change the world, my friends, in more and more into the likeness of the kingdom of God, which Christ fully desires that all the world around us should look like. So this means uh, for us that as that treasure is activated by the prayer and the sacraments that we're receiving today, you're going to discover a certain urgency coming into your lives, a certain urgency. I guarantee you, both my young friends who are presenting themselves to con- for confirmation and the, the family of our baptismal candidate and uh, a promise Uh, for this baby's future life, and the adults who are being presented for reception, and this entire church as you stand up and say uh, in front of God and everybody that you too commit to these vows, I guarantee you that the urgency which is embedded in this treasure that God has given given us will speak in the middle of your life. There's going to be a time when you find yourself in an assembly and something terrible is going down. Someone is hurt who needs healing and nobody is willing to lift a hand. Some egregious injustice is being pronounced and no one has the courage to speak against it. Someone needs a word of mercy and no one even actually sees that that person's life is being torn apart inside and if someone would simply put their arm around them or or give them a helping hand, their life could change from death to life in a nanosecond. You are going to face those situations and the treasure that is in you is going to urge you to speak and to act. And I will guarantee you, it will feel like you are walking off a plank. It's happened to any number of us. There's this sinking feeling you get, and you say, oh, please, Lord, no. (laughs) Let it be someone else. And then you realize if you don't say something, you're not going to be able to live with yourself. And if you don't, and the moment passes, that's all right, because God is not going to let up. And it will present itself again and again. And the spirit in you will recall the moment when you didn't say something, when you didn't act and could have, when you needed to reach out and should have, but didn't. And sooner or later, at some point, that memory is going to grow strong enough so that finally you hear it in time and act. And you will find others join you on the way who will have similar stories, you see. And that is the blessing that we're asking God to deliver us all this day. Um, 
In the old days, uh, in, in the right prayer book, 1559, <laughs> sorry, just had to. Um, in earlier versions of the confirmation rites, the gifts of the Spirit were enunciated. And uh, while I could not do it now and should have looked them up before I sat down in this chair, I commend you to go online and find any previous version, for instance, of the American uh, Prayer Book. I think they're still there in the 28 book, um, where uh, the, the bishop, as he lays hands, at, ar articulates the gifts of the Spirit that are being, that are being proclaimed. And they are strong gifts, powerful gifts, urgent gifts, do you see? And, and, uh, and they're being conveyed in such a way that they're intended to be stirred up in people and, uh, and carried out. And even though the words are different that we use at this service, in fact, all of those gifts are articulated in other places in the liturgy. Look for them, listen for them. The gifts of teaching and healing and prophecy and, and proclamation. The gifts of acting for the sake of mercy and justice, of living the life of Christ crucified and holding up the power of his resurrection. All of those are in, are in this language. So sisters and brothers, as we, as we welcome these new members who are, are, have been members of this church in many cases for, for a long time, some who are recently arrived, at least one who has very recently <laughs> arrived, and pray for them. Let's pray understanding that what we are praying for is to receive a treasure house of gifts which we will bear in weekend earthen jars, but that as we bear it, God will use us in ways we cannot begin to ask for or imagine. And by doing so, he will give us the joy of seeing ourselves and our neighbors, and in fact, the world itself changed more and more into the likeness of his son Jesus, in whose grace and name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen.